Welcome to Trail and Error, a look at the trail running world from the podium to the pack with your hosts Jay Grady and Tristan Stevenson. We decided to start our own trail running podcast to talk to the people we find interesting in the trail and ultra running world, to find out their highs and lows, their momentous successes and their abject failures, and to perhaps give us all a little bit of inspiration to take on some adventures and challenges of our own. We'll be speaking to runners and athletes, race directors and coaches, sports nutritionists and doctors to get the best out of our own running and hopefully yours too. We hope you enjoy the podcast and if you do, please hit like and subscribe via all the normal podcast feeds. But for now, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to another podcast episode of Trail and Error. Uh, Tris and I today are joined by Marco Altini. Marco, you have a lot of letters after your names. I'm going to let you introduce yourself <laughs> and your qualifications um, thank you. to the audience. But um, no, thank you and, and welcome for joining us today. Thank you, Jay. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, Marco, you are behind, um, or the force behind, the co-founder of Heart Rate Training for... Uh, Heart Rate Variability for Training, HRV for Training. Um, I came across your, um, your, your technology and your app, actually, um, via um, a book called Peak by Mark Bubbs. And I, I know you've worked with and talked to Mark before as well. So, um, yeah, that was kind of my intro to it. And once I started to look into this uh, measurement of, of recording how my physiology was, was responding to training, it's kind of addictive. Could, could you just explain, possibly for the layman, uh, if you've never heard of HRV, um, what it does and, and, and how it works? Yeah, yeah, sure. So what we do basically is to measure um, a proxy of physiological stress. So when we take our measurement of heart rate variability or HRV, we measure the body's response to stress so that we can try to capture basically how we are dealing with the various stresses we face, which, you know, for athletes from recreational to professional, um, you know, training is one of the main stressors. But in general, you know, as we all know, there are many stressors in life from, you know, work to, I don't know, any other worries that there can be or uh, anything that is unexpected from, you know, a health point of view, um, traveling, all sorts of things basically that affect um, our nervous system, which is basically anything we can do, even, you know, things like diet and, and all that is associated to that sleep. So by measuring HRV, we get um, a snapshot of the body's physiological stress level. And if we do that, you know, according to certain protocols that maybe we can discuss later um, every day, that can help us basically understanding where we stand uh, when our body is not responding so well to all the stresses you're facing and then maybe making some changes and making some adjustments there so that we can try to get back to where we were, which should be, you know, optimal for our um, health and performance. And when, when we talk about measuring heart rate variability, what are we actually measuring? Yeah, so what we are measuring there is basically the time difference between heartbeats. So we take this measurement, which will last a certain amount of time. Typically, the minimum amount of time you need is a minute. So you measure for a minute or a little longer. And then, you know, even if your heart rate is 60 beats per minute, this does not mean that you have a beat exactly every second. 
there is always some variability between these bits. And this variability is basically regulated by the autonomic nervous system. So that's why it becomes a proxy to that activity and to the response of the body to stress. Basically, the more stress on the body, the more the parasympathetic system, which is part of the autonomic nervous system, will be suppressed, and the less variability will be present on your heart rate. So when we measure that, we get an understanding of these variations, and it's just the basically bit-to-bit differences in heart rate over time. So as long as you are able to capture instantaneous heart rate and these differences correctly, with different technologies that are available today, then you can get this, uh, let's say, a valid HRV measurement and then take it from there. And so um, when your heart is beating, a more metronomic, a more regular heartbeat is an indication of less health, I'm going to say, or less less fitness. And, and a more varied heart rate gives you um, a better way of adapting to training and means that you're generally more healthy. Exactly. Yeah, that's how it works. Okay. So that's strange, isn't it? I think, I mean, I remember the first time I came across this concept that, um, you know, we should be looking for a variance, like a greater variance in the time difference between beats suggests that you are, you know, adapting to training well, you're ready to perform, um, you know, you're um, feeling you, your body is physiologically capable, uh, it's not under too much stress, go out and do a workout. You, I, I don't know, for me, I would have thought it was the other way around, that's what you'd be looking for. It just seems odd to me. I would have thought that, you know, perfectly the same distance or gap between beats tells you that everything's good, but that's bad, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. As a matter of fact, if you had absolutely no activity of the autonomic nervous system, so your heart rate, you know, would function just with the pacemaker that is in the heart, then you would have a perfectly constant heartbeat, um, which would be also around 100 beats per minute. But then thanks to the nervous system, Ah. then this is much lower. And at rest, you know, say you're fairly fit, then maybe your heart rate is in the 40s or the 50s. Um, And that's mostly a sign that there is strong parasympathetic tone in there. Mm. Um, And the other reason why, yeah, yeah, you know, heart regulation is basically driven by, uh, you know, in part, uh, the sinoatrial node, that is the pacemaker in the heart, which will always beat, you know, at more or less 110 beats per minute. And then the innervation of the autonomic nervous system will um, basically cause the differences that we see hmm. thanks to high parasympathetic activity at rest. And then as soon as we start exercising, you know, parasympathetic activity is suppressed. So then we go back up with heart rate and then the sympathetic system also kicks in and then heart rate is even higher and, you know, we reach our maximum heart rate if we do, you know, that's so, so the exercise. parasympathetic nervous system is effectively like applying the brakes to the heart exactly. rate when yeah. your body is, you know, performing well and adapting well to stress. That's really interesting way of putting it. I've not heard it that, put it that way before. Yeah, yeah, you can think about it that way. And also, you know, talking about the bit-to-bit variability, um, another important aspect is that the parasympathetic system, you know, is not just on or off. There is um, an activity which is, let's say, increased uh, during parts of the respiration cycle. So when you exhale, parasympathetic activity is a bit higher. When you inhale, it's a bit uh, lower. And that's also why heart rate is continuously modulated over time. Mm. Um, which makes it so that basically variability increases as parasympathetic activity increases 
Hmm. And that's why it becomes a proxy yeah. of stress. And you can that notice way. that, can't you, just by checking your pulse. Like if you take deep breaths in and deep breaths out, you you can actually notice, assuming you're not under huge amounts of stress, um, the difference in the gap between the beats. And it's I think it's quite unnerving the first time I did it. I was like, Jesus, this thing's not ticking consistently. <laughs> like, you know, call a doctor, but perfectly normal. Yeah, yeah, true. You can see actually extremely large variations at rest from, you know, 40 BPM to 80 BPM just doing deep breaths. So mm. yeah, it's quite quite fascinating. <laughs> and what how do we what's what's the sort of metric for measurement? What's the uh unit of measurement, if you like, for measuring heart rate values? Because as I understand, there's more than one, right? Yeah, that's one of the big problems of the old field, I would say. In the past, uh, you know, 40, 50 years, I think all sorts of metrics have been introduced and things got, you know, also a bit more confusing than they should have been, probably. Um, one of the good things, I think, that came with the past few years um, and, you know, some progress in sports science, but also wearables and apps and other systems that um, sort of standardized a bit more the way metrics are reported so that now there is one main metric which uh, is called rmssd um, is just a way you know to compute these differences between bits when you have a certain amount of data which is a good marker of parasympathetic activity and it's also very simple to compute uh, you know there are more complex ways to look at this um, that are however less standard let's say you have a lot of degrees of freedom when you do the math you know and all of these methods are correct but then you know you cannot really compare articles you cannot compare tools it makes it difficult to derive conclusions and even just to you know get an understanding of what's going on so one of the good things yeah as i was saying is just right now i would say most tools use this metric or a transformation of this metric and that makes it a bit easier um to understand you know what you're doing compared with others uh we studied with you know published literature and then um basically with that um have a good marker of parasympathetic activity so again the higher the less stress mm. so rmssd um what is that actually describing so you know any given value what is it telling us about the heart rate variability and i well aware that we're going to get deep and geeky here and probably going to lose everyone, <laughs> including me, but let's give it a go anyway. So let's say that, um, let's put it this way to make it a bit more, more interesting. Maybe, um, you know, everybody's used to measuring resting heart rate. So you get your resting heart rate in bits per minute. And that's something that you can, to a certain extent, even compare to others. Like, you know, it does not change as much with age, um it changes certainly with fitness so you know elite athletes endurance athletes have a very low resting heart rate it's extremely unusual for that not to be the case um for hrv is a bit different so you measure your hrv your rmssd let's say is 60 um with that you can do basically nothing <laughs> it's not that useful as you know an information uh, it's your absolute value and you know the range of what we consider healthy is enormous you know from maybe 10 milliseconds to 300 milliseconds which basically puts in there i don't know 98 99 percent of the population uh, and that's all considered normal um, and even with fitness the link is weak so you know you can see elite athletes with relatively low values um regular people with higher values um the 
differences you can see and you know at the population level that are also you know what makes it uh, typically also something that people consider a health market is that historically uh, they have been comparing a lot people with maybe some type of chronic disease with healthy people and you know there is a difference in there like there is a difference in probably all the other markers that you can think of right so it's something that maybe at that point is not even just the one feature that is discriminative of these two very different conditions but for a healthy person I think the advantage is really in starting to look at how this data changes over time with respect to your own history more than the, the absolute value because the absolute value itself has a strong genetic component also. So it's not even that, you know, making some changes, you can necessarily make larger changes in HIV over time. Uh, you know, some, some of these things, I think, um, are still not well understood and each case is um, different, of course, depending on where you start from, what's your lifestyle, uh, you know, how much room for improvement there is in general in your lifestyle basically will derive, you know, what kind of changes you can see in these parameters. But at the absolute value, um, yeah, the numbers, let's say, are not something normally I'd say it's meaningful to compare with others or just to measure a snapshot and, you know, and see where you, where you are at that point. I think it's much more useful to just track over time and see mm. those kind of changes. Yeah, and I know in your app, you can kind of compare your data to population data to see where it sits. And like you say, there's a huge variance there um, in the data. So the RMSSD is a measurement of time in, in milliseconds. Is that what, what is that? An average variance of what is it doing? plotting an average variance of beats over the course of a minute or what's it taking so exactly? that's the root mean square error of successive differences so it's a bit different than looking for example a standard deviation of the data um, because you look at the you pre-compute the differences between beats you just do not look at just the beat with respect to the average during that time period which would be the standard deviation but you look at the uh, differences between the bits first, and then you compute the root mean square error, which basically ends up looking at higher frequency information. Uh, so really these higher frequency changes, which is why this metric typically is highly correlated with um, what other features uh, report, for example, in the frequency domain, um, the high frequency power, which is also associated to, um, again, as the name says, high frequency changes, which are typical of parasympathetic activity. So this is all linked to, again, how it works physiologically, because we measure something that happens, um, you know, rather quick. And then that's typically how the parasympathetic system acts, while that is not really the case for the sympathetic system, which is not really something we can measure um, with these metrics uh, when we look at HRV, especially at rest, as we were saying before, the body is massively parasympathetic. That's also reflected by simply your heart rate at rest. Uh, but then the level of uh, modulation, which is basically these HRV features will be indicative of any changes on a day-to-day -day basis in response to stress. That's interesting. It's, um, I've been using your app now for probably two months um All right. and it's been um it's interesting how it it's it's changed my behavior so for for, for listeners that, that uh, haven't tried marco's app it's, it's hrv for training uh, available on, on on your phone which is how i i 
record my data via the camera and the, and the, the light. But um, so every, every morning, just to give you an insight of how, how, how this works for me, is, is every morning I wake up and the first thing I do, and this is a really important thing, and I had to giggle when I, when I read the instructions on how to do it because he said, you know, wake up and before you get into any kind of stressful situation, you know, like looking at the news or your Twitter feed or anything, before you get any of that stressful crap into your mind, take your reading. And so... I have to take quite an intervention there, right? To avoid uh, getting involved in Twitter and news and everything. It, it's on the first, it's the first up on my screen, on my home screen. And I, and I go straight to it before I can get anything else in. Oh, it's this like, is just... going to make Marco happy, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> every phone in the land straight on the home the only the only icon on an every iphone home screen should be this app and then you you hit the app and um i hit recording and then i what i literally do i i and i don't know if this is cheating or not but i i stick my my finger over the camera and the light at the same time and i and i jab the phone and, and my hand under the pillow so that i can properly like rest for the next because I, I take my reading for three minutes you can do one minute three minutes or five minutes and 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 you can tell me if, if the five minute is better I've kind of I've avoided the normal ultra trap of going for the big uh the big hard thing of five minutes I've just gone like middle ground marathon runner kind of three minute thing five minutes is yeah, cool I, I can think do that's that. great I think uh you know you're, you don't need five minutes uh for sure so so I'm still going to the metrics yeah, yeah, three minutes is already a lot. Probably you are like in the top one percent of the people that ah, do more than you know two minutes. Yeah, so. I'm, I'm, I'm really impressed. You've got three minutes in the day to spare, <laughs> Jay. To be honest with you. Well, um, I say it at four a.m. No, I don't say it at four a.m. Um, six a.m. It goes off, and uh, so I take this reading, and then um, it, it kind of vibrates and pings when it's ready, and then I like a like a piece of toast, and I take my hand. Out from underneath the pillow, and I and I look at my score, and then it says, "Okay, this is your score. Now fill in this short questionnaire." And this is the only bit that I kind of went because I'm almost fifty now, and 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 my arms aren't long enough always to read my phone, which means I need to stick my glasses on first thing in the morning. So I, I grab my phone and I look at it, and then it says, "And this is the the important bit of of HRV really for me anyway, because all of a sudden this this data point that we've just been speaking about and the measurements suddenly we add context to it." And the questionnaire asks things like, um, what's your quality of sleep been like? Um, what's your mental energy like? What's your muscle soreness like? Uh, my fatigue levels. What's my lifestyle? Am I traveling? Is it more stable? Um, do I feel that I want to go for a run? Um, it, and it also, interestingly- Did you drink? Did I drink? Have I had a little alcohol? No alcohol? I wish that one was just like a lot of alcohol can, automatically can, ticked by <laughs> default every day. So can, I, just, save, just save me the uh, save me the bother and the and the kind of embarrassment of having to fill it in. Can you remember yesterday? That should be the question. Um, do you know where you are? That should be the other question. Um, and then uh, it, it taps into the Strava feed and pulls up the information on my previous day's workout as well. Um, and so it's, it asked me about my, um, relative perceived effort on that. Did I feel like my perceived effort of how the run went correlates with what the, the app kind of said. And, and so there's lots of context to it. And that's the thing I like all of a sudden I'm getting this data point and I can apply my lifestyle to it. And then it has this really strange effect of trying to make me a better runner because now I get competitive and I'm like, okay, so my reading was that. And I can see here that my sleep wasn't great. So now I'm going to become an absolute sleep zealot and I'm going to be in bed at half past 10 every night and I'm going to get my seven and a half to eight hours sleep and then I'm going to improve my score. And, and, and the whole output of this is for me to understand a couple of things is 
am I, have I got a stable lifestyle to train and get the best out of my body? And also all the things that I perceive to be um, going on with my body, are they actually going on with my body? Do I, if I felt like something is tough, is it because I haven't slept? Is it because of all these other factors that we've gone through? Is it because I've had a drink? Is it because um, I'm feeling sluggish? My sleep was poor, all these things. And suddenly the, the app will go three things. It says, take it easy today, limit your intensity today, which I think is yellow. So take it easy today, red, limit your intensity yellow or green, go for it, go and train. And and that's the bit that I love about this. It's like, it, it and I know you can't take that as an absolute and, and sometimes you can override these things, but it's just interesting to see the data in a baseline format rather than an acute format to see where my trends are going. And that's been really, really useful, I have to say. Yeah, I would say, it, I'd say the value in it certainly is insights, right? Um, it's, I mean, the survey, in a way, the survey side of the app, just on its own, would be quite a useful tool for training to 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 self-evaluate performance and the way you feel and to input you know yeah did i drink how was yesterday's training have i slept well because you could go you could gather a lot of information about what is affecting your well-being just from that alone well it forms part of your training log doesn't it you can see exactly Yeah. yeah but but having the having the heart rate variability score in there as well gives you some actual science to kind of correlate this stuff too as well yeah yeah for sure you know everything you say makes a lot of sense right so you want to add context so that's i think uh key right physiology without context does not tell us much right we cannot really interpret that at the same time uh you know this uh starts as a tool for awareness basically right so you and the questionnaire is really a big piece of awareness again you Take that moment, self-reflection, see, you know, even just to think about how you feel for those like 30 seconds that you fill it in, um, your sleep, everything else, muscle soreness, um, your lifestyle and behavior in general. And then the objective data can help, you know, in that context to see, you know, um, how your body responded to that because, you know, the two can be in agreement. You know, sometimes we feel the way that the data reflects it. Sometimes that is not the case. And maybe, you know, the data is showing something that is coming up, you know, maybe speaking up illness a bit in advance, or maybe, you know, it's simply something not to worry about, right? There are also fluctuations on a day-to-day basis, uh, which might not be something that we need to be concerned about, which is why, you know, the app tries to interpret things always with respect to months of your previous data, understand, you know, is this deviation today just a bit lower or is it so much lower than, you know, your body is really struggling a bit and maybe, you know, it's not the best day to do intervals and things like that. So then all the context can can help also yourself basically looking in the longer run uh, at what factors have a stronger influence, um, as you were mentioning, sleep. Um, and then, you know, trying to make some changes there and, and keep things in balance. Um, I mean, because you're gathering all this data um, on people's performance and seeing fluctuations in their heart rate variability, seeing it go down based on, you know, it's training factors or lifestyle choices, you know, do you, do you, obviously you're sharing these insights back with the users of the app. But are you also publishing any of this data, uh, you know, from a in, a in a more sort of larger, like larger sense, and saying, "Well, look, 
we've identified the fact that actually poor sleep is the biggest impact on on training performance and heart rate variability or you know consumption of alcohol or whatever yeah yeah for sure so we started this you know as a tool initially that was used mostly for research so there's been uh you know we've published a few papers look at a few aspects related to both um, stress and performance. And, you know, as more data comes in, I think you can also try to understand a bit better some of these relationships. Uh, Something we're looking at just recently for a new article is, for example, um, again, the relation between training of different intensities and the acute drop in HRV mm. uh, over longer periods of time. So, you know, people that have been using the tool now for years. So you can really look at many trainings, not just, you know, a single one, which, of course, you know, every time that you analyze an acute stressor, you know, training or alcohol or sickness or whatever it is, you're making huge oversimplifications because obviously that day a lot of other things happened it's Mm. not just training was just the only stress right but then if you look at many months per data per person and you always look at the same stressor then you know the others tend to cancel out and Mm. you can see this kind of relationship so we were looking for example again at the change in resting heart rate and in hrv to see you know where do you see these changes better how these uh, differ between, for example, men and women or between age groups. Like, is this tool that is useful, you know, maybe when you are in your 30s or in 20s because your HRV is much higher? Or can you use it when you are in your 60s, even though HRV changes quite a bit and reduces with age, which is basically the only parameter that has a very strong link with HRV is aging. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, can you still see those changes and apply the same the same technology, basically? And some of the insights there are, are quite interesting. For example, in the context of this, HRV still captures the changes in uh, the physiological response to training in a similar way across all age groups, while for resting heart rate, the change is already very small. So it's always, you know, we're talking about maybe 1% of your heart rate, which makes it also very difficult on a day-to-day basis to understand if that's a relevant change or not because it's so small. But then that change is also smaller and smaller as you age. So, you know, for the 40 to 50, 50 to 60 age groups, then the change in heart rate after heart training is so small that it does not really give you um, something actionable at that point, while Mm. you can see this better in HRV. And this is not to say that, you know, arresting heart rate is not useful. It's just a different parameter. Again, if you look at changes in fitness longer term, so, you know, is your training making you more fit? Then resting heart rate can capture this better than um, HRV itself. So as long as, you know, we understand which signal is for what, then we can use them more effectively. And your yeah. app captures both of those. So I get a, a resting heart rate uh, reading and I also get my um, HRV reading and then I get the coefficient as well of the two. Um, exactly. And so it's... Um, uh, it's it's one of those things where, in terms of usability, it's got lots of factors to understand how we are um, ready to perform and, and and whether we're ready to go for it. How does HRV? Um, how how can people use their HRV reading to uh, factor and, and not factor, but um, increase their recovery or, or improve their recovery? I think that um, you know the first step. I would say so is you know take your measurements consistently and then you know 
explore a bit, see what triggers changes in your physiology, how you respond. Do not make changes for the first, you know, uh, weeks or so, so that uh, you get an understanding of what is happening there. Um, then, typically for endurance athletes, uh, the let's say the intervention is the easiest. So what I mean is that uh, there have been quite a few studies at this point, both in runners and cyclists, um, using a similar approach, which is um, when your data is particularly suppressed, so your HIV is lower than your normal, for example, uh, either acutely, so today you have a very low score, or more chronically, so to speak, so maybe your baseline is getting lower, uh, so your seven days moving average or you know your recent trend does not look so good, then at that point, it's probably not ideal to have a high-intensity session, not because you cannot do it, right? So mm-hmm. this is also important to understand. It does not mean you cannot do your session or you cannot race on that day. It just means that your body is less... Um, it's not going to adapt to the training ready to, Exactly, exactly. It's about the adaptation as about what you want to achieve after that. So in the process, in the context of training, you know, it should be a process leading to, you know, whatever performance you need to do. So in that context, it makes sense, you know, to skip the intervals, for example, and scale down the intensity, because these studies have shown that these groups of athletes, basically, even if at the end of the training, um, it will be the usual, you know, eight to 12 weeks that these studies last, uh, you have done less high intensity trainings then your performance would still be better than the other group because basically you did them when your body was ready to adapt. While if you do them, you know, at the wrong time, it's just, you know, timing matters. That's the message I think here. Yeah, there's Um, no point in going out and beasting yourself on intervals. If your body's not going to have the adaptations you're looking for, you might as well rest, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's interesting, isn't it? Sorry, Marco, carry on. I was was just going to say, I could probably have a negative effect as well right i mean you're actually sort of detraining in a sense if you're trying to hit these intervals while your body is under great stress um, yeah i think there are other associated risks there right so um, you know some things are very difficult to analyze systematically but even if you think about the injuries obviously if there is a lot of stress you know your body is just at higher risk of ending up in a negative situation it, it's funny how um <laughs> so the heart being metronomic is is not a good indication of fitness, but uh, training metronomically, if you like, going out for a run every day is also not not probably the best idea. So it's interesting how those two kind of things accidentally um, give the same negative result. Um, yeah, a bit of variability seems to be good in yeah. life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, in most things. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool. Um, so... <laughs> Dehydration is something that I um, see a lot with my patients and, and problems with dehydration and understanding hydration in races is a big, uh, it's, a, it's a missing part of a lot of people's strategies. And so how is HRV, um, obviously we're talking about the vascular system and things. Like that. So how is HRV affected by dehydration? Yeah, I would say that, you know, like similarly to other stressors, uh, we can think it that way. So if, um, let's say the input, is not optimal in this case, in this case, hydration, then, you know, you can have a negative response. And the thing is that, uh, like for any stressor, then, you know, it will depend on the specific situation. It Mm -hmm. will depend on the history of the athlete. Uh, You can see this similarly also maybe with 
altitude as a stressor, you know, those kind of stimulus where, um, you know, certain issues like dehydration, obviously you want to try to avoid them. Uh, in other situations, you want to add these stressors like in altitude, you know, to trigger a certain response. But then people respond very differently to, to both of these situations. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think where the data comes in is basically just to individualize what is, you know, that you're going to do at that point once it happened uh, or once you're planning it because uh, you get the individual response of the athlete and basically if everything stays within an athlete's normal in terms of HRV, that's something that you normally can uh, interpret as, you know, a stable physiological condition or a positive response. Um, and, you know, a lot of, I think, People still uh, sometimes have a misunderstanding around the the fact that HRV is capturing stress and you know the response to stress, but that does not mean that every time you have, for example, a heart session, you expect your HRV to be low because mm. HRV, you know, again captures the response. So if you do respond well to that session and you are fit and you know your uh, that session is what you should do at that time of your training then you expect actually things to be perfectly normal or even better. You don't expect these acute dips. And, you know, if you see a lot of ups and downs over time and physiology being rather unstable due to, again, a series of stresses um, that you're facing, then that's also typically um, a bit of a bad sign because you prefer a more stable um, situation while many ups and downs um, highlight a sort of a struggle of the system in staying basically in balance. So you're saying that low heart rate variability shouldn't necessarily, you know, be come automatically after a high intensity training session. If things are right, then actually it should appear to be perfectly normal or, or good. Yeah, exactly. You know, when right. I see, for example, data from um, say top Ironman athletes uh, preparing corner, right? They train uh, many hours per week, right? And, you know, they certainly do their sessions. And yet, you know, the only dip they have maybe is the day after corner, right? Because that's when you have to give it all. But Mm. normally, you should not, you know, Mm. go there. Yeah. So you would say that potentially any kind of significant drop in heart rate variability might be an indication of like overtraining, basically. Well, overtraining depends how we define it. You know, let's say maybe there we look at a more chronic negative response, but still uh, even just an acute negative response um, to something, maybe, you know, it was still something, it was a bit too much, maybe what you did, or there was something else, right? Any other stressor that, you know, sometimes something as simple as uh, the wrong dinner can cause a dip. That's why we should not overthink it either, right? So we Mm. look at that. We, we contextualize with respect to what we did and how we feel. And then most importantly, I think the longer term trends is maybe where, uh, yeah, we can get a better understanding really of how things are trending and if we should make some major changes or not. Well, speaking of dinner, um, it's not dinner time, obviously. <laughs> uh, we're recording just after lunch. Uh, but I have to have a question about food. Um, one thing I've noticed when I've taken um measurements at different points in the day just to see what's going on uh you know first thing in the morning like jay says perhaps after a run um and then even later in the day to sort of see you know how my body is recovering i found some really weird stuff and this i found this consistently um in that i can go out for a run a long one let's say or a high intensity one finish the run and my heart rate variability is still is 
fairly sort of consistent with the morning and maybe a little bit lower. Um, but then I eat and it drops like after eating. It's almost like the food is the stressor. Um, and actually, I just need to starve myself. Is this, you know, N of one, obviously, perhaps I'm a weirdo, but is this something that you can comment on? Perhaps it could be the amount of food I'm eating, the type of food I'm eating, um, the speed at which I eat. I eat pretty fast, by the way. Um, you know, I'm used to gobbling stuff down at age stations. So, uh, <laughs> so practice. but um, what, do you, what do you think of that? So I think, uh, let's say that outside of uh, the morning routine or night data, there are different factors always playing a role. Sim one is just the circadian rhythm, right? Things will differ because, you know, uh, day and night physiology will be um, changing continuously. Then the acute stresses that are um, that you are mentioning, those are many of those are the ones that basically have a transitory effect that normally... We are not too interested in because it's not what we capture with the baseline measurements. So mm. again, food, uh, well, exercise, it depends, right? It could be that the effect lasts longer, a day or two, depending on uh, yeah, cumulative effects or how hard it was. And so that's something that normally can also be captured. Um, but yeah, I would say food, uh, unless you do, like you were doing a sort of a protocol where you measure, um, you know, very close to the stressor is something that normally we don't capture. You can think also about the things you drink, uh, even just coffee, uh, tea, any sort of thing that can have an effect. Um, yeah, I would say, I don't know, honestly, um, about uh, just after eating, if you are expecting to see such a suppression um in theory, the parasympathetic system is more active during digestion, but, you know, uh, still, I think things can go different ways for sure. Um, for sure, heart rate is also higher, right? There is, uh, you know, that process also takes uh, some work to the body, right? In terms of energy expenditure yeah. is maybe 10, 15% of what you expand in a day. Yeah. It's just digestion. So Actually, that you're eating fast, let me tell you, that heart rate gets high. Yeah, yeah. I'm one yes. of six boys, so you know, you, when Mum put food on the table, you got to you got to work to get that. <laughs> and she was a pretty good cook as well, so that that's a that's a high intensity exercise in itself, you know. And I've kept that with Must me. Must be pretty stressful. Yeah, stressful. <laughs> I I did read actually in Mark Bubbs's book about coffee being uh, it increases your HRV, which I thought it was, does. Yeah, I, I was I was quite Chronically. happy with that. <laughs> well, that's, I don't know about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I was well, happy with that one. Well, if that's true, then um, I'm I'm looking good because uh, there's a lot of coffee goes through this body. <laughs> I had to stop, so that was uh, yeah, yeah, a bit stop. of a change for you me. Had to stop drinking, drinking coffee. coffee. I'm yeah. so sorry. Oh man, <laughs> no coffee, no alcohol for more than two months and a half. Um, oh. But yeah, still here, so Ooh. it can be done. The shell of your former self, no doubt, but yeah. The struggle is real. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather give up the alcohol and the coffee, for sure. Um, I've actually got a friend at the moment who's, I think, about a month into no coffee and documenting it every day. And I'm like, you know, why, why, why share your pain with us? You know, I don't want to hear about this. True. Normally, I keep it for myself. I'm sorry about yeah. this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll have to censor this bit out of the episode. To be honest with you. So. Um, so, in terms of uh, taking measurements, um, so how, how the listeners take their, the record their HRV. Um, I do mine once a day via your app, Marco. Uh, Trish, you do yours via your Garmin. Well, I do both. You I've, do both. I, the Garmin has a sort of inbuilt um, stress score, 
um and then i I use the hrv um for training app as well um it's just just because i mean i i feel like marco's app is more sort of specially tailored and plus you've as i say you've got all the survey side of it as well so it's just so much better on insights whereas garmin's just pumping out data basically and there's no context to it um but um yeah the garmin garmin's have a i think they call it stress score um, which isn't, is based isn't on that related to waiting for how long the satellites take to tune to the watch, <laughs> <laughs> um, which I believe is well, at least partially influenced by it might be a heart rate as well, but your HRV, um, I don't know, Mark, Marco probably knows about Garmin's technology and can comment on it, but I, I, yeah, I don't know. And it, it, yeah, yeah. Garmin, uh, it's a bit difficult because it's not very open the way, the way, um, let's say they do this. So it's, not always so clear also mm. now they have many different things like there is the body battery during the day the stress score but also you can i think you can also just use um the garmin strap and yeah. a garmin app for example for a regular morning measurement yeah so there are different ways of doing this i think all of them of course rely on um, resting heart rate to start with especially during the day when hrv is a bit more complex to measure um especially with optical measurements so there may be a resting heart rate deviations in that is already a good uh, indicator of stress, uh, as we were saying before, you know, like after food, maybe, you know, your resting heart rate is really higher and your HRV is suppressed. So they tend to agree. Um, but yeah, otherwise, you know, at rest for sure. Also in the morning or in does, the night, there will be HRV. Does it make a difference standing up or lying down? Cause I'm, I'm sure I've seen some advice saying you should stand when you take the measurement and others saying, well, it doesn't matter really. Yeah, yeah. So you can do it in different ways. Um, let's say that for me, the most important thing is to find something that works for you so that you make it a habit. Because, you know, if you have the perfect protocol, but then you do it once every two weeks, yeah. then it's totally useless. So it's fine to do it lying down. It's fine to do it sitting or standing. It is different though. Uh, you know, your body is just in a different position. So there will be um, small changes. And so the important uh, bit there is just to do the same every day. So just be consistent. If you lie down, just always lie down. If you sit, just always sit. Uh, and then it's fine. You will see still um, these changes over time. I would say there are maybe some exceptions for elite athletes or people with extremely low heart rate, uh, maybe in the 30s, uh, there's some recommendation in that case, maybe not to lie down because uh, you could get into this situation of parasympathetic saturation, which just means that parasympathetic activity is high, but it's not well reflected in HRV while you lie down. It's sort of, uh, again, saturated. So if you sit, you just add that little stressor and then maybe you get a better representation of your parasympathetic activity system. Um, but again, I would say rare in general, just keep it simple. You know, if for you, it's easy to just wake up and be in bed and measure. That's what I recommend doing also what I do myself for just a minute. So I think that's a valid way to, to gather the data. And then as alternatives, um, yeah, there are, I think, other systems. Well, you can also pair, you know, chest straps to the app or to other apps. Um, I Does think, that work for your app? Can you pair a chest strap? Or have you got to do it with the yeah, camera? Yeah, you can use yeah. uh, either the camera or you can use um, straps. Normally, we recommend Polar because we validated them also with respect to ECGs, same as the camera that we, the algorithms we developed. So all of those 
uh, are equivalent. So depending on you know what is easier for you, um, those are good alternatives in terms of optical sensors. So you know basically things that are not just straps like watches or um, yeah wristbands and things like about that. The, the aura rings. Do they? Yeah, that is that is also a good alternative. So mm-hmm. I would say maybe the only alternative uh, for uh, night measurements that provide you the basically the um, entire uh, night of data, which I think is important if we want to get this snapshot of physiology. Mm-hmm. Uh, either you do it, you know, first thing in the morning, or you need the full night of data because just looking at a part of the night can be problematic due to the fact again of the circadian rhythm for example so mm-hmm. if you say okay i want to look just at deep sleep then maybe once it was you know 4 a.m and once it was 1 a.m because you know sleep stages changes every night yeah and so then you start looking at periods that could be far apart um similarly it is really not possible for wearables to detect sleep stages with high accuracy. Mm. So that becomes a challenge if you say, okay, I detect only this time or this sleep stage. Um, and, you know, during REM sleep, for example, your autonomic nervous system is very active. So it's like, you know, even your brain, it resembles, you know, your wake state brain. Um, and, you know, your body cannot move and, you know, you're wildly dreaming and things like that. So, when we sleep, we think, okay, we are unconscious. It's the best time to measure, so I don't influence it. But it's not really true. <laughs> like, a lot is happening. Yeah. So that's why I say, okay, if you use an ordering, I think it's great. Uh, I also work with Aura, so full disclosure. But in general, you know, we were integrating with them before I started working with them. So <laughs> I think it was already a good device that we would recommend um, because simply it captures all data and it's also validated, so the data is accurate. Uh, so if you have, you know, the budget or the preference or don't like to measure in the morning, then that's, of course, a good alternative. It pairs with the app so you can get the same insights. Otherwise, morning measurements are quite simple. Um, yeah. It's just a good excuse to stay in bed for another minute or two, right? Yeah, also. <laughs> I'm measuring my heart rate variability. Could you make me a <laughs> cup of tea while I do this, please? <laughs> oh, um, you're a runner. Marco, you are a runner. Um, a recreational how... runner. <laughs> oh, as are, as are we. Uh, well, as am okay. I, Chris, you're, 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 I don't know what you do, but um, you, do, you do way more than me. Uh, you've done a marathon this morning, Tris, and you're going out again in a second, aren't you? Uh, well, not a second, but I will be running again this afternoon. Yeah, it's a double day. So, so um, not bad. That, yeah. That's the difference in our, in our running capabilities, as people often remind me. Um, <laughs> uh, so... Um, Marco, when did you start running and why? Why did you start um, running? So I started running, I think, um, at this point, maybe 10 years ago or something like that. Um, so my father was always a runner and I couldn't care less when I was a child. So it must have been really disappointing. And then uh, when I emigrated and left Italy and started living somewhere else, then I got into running. Um, I don't know, maybe it's coping with stress, you know, work. I will always been, you know, much driven by work and focusing on work and so maybe i just needed something you know different to get uh release the stress Mm -hmm. and and coping mechanism (laughs) probably a common story yeah and then uh with yeah with the work also i think um probably that's when everything got very interesting for me personally you know working I had studied in the past uh, first computer science uh, and then um, started working with these wearables, like the first wearables 
10-12 uh, years ago that could measure brain activity, cardiac activity, uh, all prototypes, not things that were on the market. Um, and then working with this data, did a PhD on the topic, and I was maybe more interested in um, trying to build tools for people to use and like capture these signals and interpret this data more than just the, the research side, so keep it very applied. So that's why then I started making uh, the tools and the apps like HRV for training, um, then ended up doing um, another master's in sports science because then working with this, I wanted to understand a bit better also, you know, the physiology side. Um, and all of this process was always, you know, also doing my own running and trying to get a bit better. Um, yeah, and that, that I think has been uh, a bit of the process. Fascinating. Um, I'm interested to sort of hear where you see the technology, the insights, the app going in the future. What are the sort of next breakthroughs, you know, in this sort of space of health and fitness that you envisage happening or that you are already happening um, under your, um, you know, in in, in the company? Yeah. So um, I think uh, that, you know, in the past, 10 years, maybe there's been a lot of progress in uh, uh, measuring and trying to, you know, do this in easier ways so that, you know, you can even just wear a ring and not do anything. And basically you have a perfect snapshot and accurate of your resting physiology that was, you know, unthinkable maybe 15 years ago. Uh, so things like that have made huge progress. Maybe we made less progress in um, understanding how we influence it uh, because, you know, we just started measuring. So, you know, there is a lot of talking these days about breathing, for example, and breathing techniques. And, you know, there are some that stimulate your parasympathetic system, at least acutely. So as you do it, but, you know, does that last? Can you impact your recovery or can Mm. you impact anything by doing that? I think some of these aspects are things that are interesting and maybe can be better explored now that we have the tools and, you know, larger scale studies are easier. So things like that, um, yeah, trigger my interest. Uh, similarly, you know, for other signals that you can capture from the body now there is, you know, continuous glucose monitors, yes. um, things like that, where, you know, you just have another way to look at inside what's happening and then relate that to your behavior and your performance. And, you know, maybe you can also make adjustments there. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, on the on the breathing one, I was going to ask you about that actually because it certainly seems to me that with you know the right breath work, you can increase heart rate variability, like you say, acutely, temporarily. But then, what are you doing there? Are you really relieving the body of stress, or are you just sort of tricking it for a period of time into feeling like it is lower stress, and then it just reverts back to the way it was before, and therefore it's a sort of poor way of measuring it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's. Uh... All very good questions. You know, we know that, you know, acutely you can have an impact, but then also these practices, I think there are other aspects like psychological, of course, but, you know, when you do anything that is deep breathing or mindfulness or all of that, which can also have effects which are maybe more difficult to quantify, or maybe, you know, you don't have a physiological impact, but you have a psychological Mm. impact. Um, You know, some of these techniques, for example, in certain populations and clinical populations have shown consistently to reduce, uh, you know, anxiety or depression and have positive mental effects. But it does not mean that it will change your physiology. So maybe you can just do, you know, pace breathing and you don't need 
you know, to do any measurement. So it's also much simpler because you just follow a pacer. Um, and yeah, or maybe it can actually accelerate, you know, your recovery by increasing your parasympathetic activity for a sustained period of time. But yeah, yeah there is no evidence for that. Uh, so I think it's really uh, up for debate still. So absence of evidence or an absence of anyone actually doing proper studies on this stuff? Yeah, the quality of the studies is is a big issue. There is There are many studies on biofeedback and things like that with HRV, but the, yeah, the quality is very low. There is typically almost no control group or mm. control group that, you know, is... It's not really, yeah, it's, it's just not high quality studies. Uh, so, yeah, I would say it's very difficult to, to say that, you know, there is a, there is any evidence for one protocol or the other to be impacting your physiology in the long term. Mm. Just acutely, yes. But then, you know, what does that mean? Uh, that's also difficult to interpret. Yeah. Also because in the long term, like, unless you're doing like something that has a really a strong impact, uh, you know, if you're talking about small changes, then it's really difficult even just to design a proper study because, yeah. you know, because controlling months, for all variables, right? It's yeah, so tricky. Right? Yeah, yeah. So many things will change and, you know, even just seasons will impact your resting <laughs> physiology. A bit. Humidity. So, yeah, just everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So it becomes difficult. Um, with um, continuous glucose monitoring, is that something that you are looking to get involved in professionally? You know, are you working with anyone on that sort of technology and and those? Because we're seeing more and more of the um, I forget what's the name of the company that are really sort of peddling one at the moment. Um, Maybe Super Sapiens. Yeah, Super Sapiens. Um, like you know, they're being. I, I get them marketed to me all the time now. Um, and, <laughs> It's quite compelling as well, especially as someone uh, like myself. I, I, because I run a very low carbohydrate diet, so I'm very interested about glucose levels um, and ketone yeah. levels and that sort of stuff um, in and out of exercise. It's, um, uh, uh, yeah. So I find it a fascinating part of sort of sports science. Is it something that you're working with or on? Yeah. So um, I am in contact with some of these companies and both through OR and through OHRV for training. Um, and, you know, I've used a number of sensors from different companies. I think to me personally, um, I would say from a diet point of view, certainly is very insightful because, you know, you see how your body responds to what you eat, but also to what you do, because, you know, the impact of a short walk after eating is huge. So yeah. it's something that's so simple. Mm. And, you know, maybe you know already, but looking at the data, I think it's very, very good for, for actionability and behavioral change is something that, you know, you get into that feedback loop where, you know, you see the fact that it's good for you to move a little and, you know, you don't have to run 30K every time you move because then <laughs> we end up into that, right? We, we, run, we run 30K and then we see it. 15 hours so maybe you know we can just break it down or and, and do little you know chunks of activity that keep you know metabolically you you are just healthier that way mm-hmm. um so things like that i think are very interesting during training i think it's more difficult um 
uh, it's uh, I would say it's more difficult to interpret, but also it could be that the data is not as accurate. I think that's also something that is being investigated. I saw just a paper uh, recently, you know, showing very accurate results for these sensors at rest because you know they are medical devices after all you know abbott makes them for diabetics so the device normally is accurate at rest at the same time it's not normally used for you know running a marathon or an ultra marathon or things like that so maybe then it could be that the levels are not picked up in the same way or simply we need to interpret them a bit differently um yeah i think um still Super interesting to look at this and see how that relates to other physiological variables that we normally track. Uh, but yeah, it's really the early days of this. Yeah. I mean, it kind of strikes me that when you're training or racing, you should be able to work out with a pen and paper, roughly, you know, depending on what sort of ratios of fat and carbs you're burning based on intensity or, and your, you know, your aerobic um, efficiency and training and everything. You should be able to pretty much work out you know, how much sugar you should be putting into your body or carbohydrate that way. You don't necessarily need, you know, an arm patch and a continuous glucose monitor and an app to be able to tell you that. But like you say, in this sort of during the daytime, I mean, I, you know, I've seen, you know, incredible someone, you know, someone eats a peach and they're just, the, the blood glucose just spikes like out of nowhere. Um, and yeah, like you say, you know, if you follow up that peach or, you know, whatever it is with, a brisk walk it just flattens that curve like dramatically um yeah yeah super interesting and also between people is so different right yeah, there is this the food quite famous different paper. people yeah, yeah yeah exactly that shows you know like people eating a banana and uh, a cookie i think it was yeah and they show an example of two people one is completely flat lined with a cookie and yeah. that's a huge spike with a banana and the other is the exact opposite i know it's crazy the cookie person probably like just kind of <laughs> eats cookies every single day so it's like Highly you don't trained. even know, I don't want to eat know. It. <laughs> but um i think it's going I would, on there I, I, yeah i suspect i would spike on virtually anything because i don't eat sugar at all so you know whatever it's banana porridge bowl of sugar you know whatever gel it's just gonna freaking ramp straight up um, but I, I'm, I'm going to do it at some point. It's quite expensive. Um, I forget what are we, it's the best part of a hundred quid a month. I think that super sapiens one. Um, yeah, it could be, I think maybe the cheapest option is to get directly the freestyle, uh, Libre sensor. If you can directly from our bot, the ones that make it right. That that's the sort of, yeah, exactly. the technology, so, yeah. you know, you don't have the fancy interpretation of all the other startups that are looking at this but if you are just interested in the data and you know you're used look you're used at looking at data and, and these kind of things then you still get you know your glucose trace and then uh, you keep track of things and that's probably yeah a bit cheaper to, to have a look so how do you actually access the data if you're using just the app libra sensor rather than going through yeah some- they have their own app uh, yeah so it's again much simpler but uh, you know it still shows you what you need to they see. didn't spend a hundred thousand pounds on an app designer to make it look all fancy yeah. kind of thing <laughs> it yeah. doesn't look like it yeah <laughs> It's 1980s Atari version, um, <laughs> but still better than. So I, I was using um, um, a, a blood checker every morning, just a, yeah. a prick test on my finger, and then and I found the. the so I was looking for fastest glu- fasted glucose levels in the morning, and and I found the variability in in the blood readings was was huge. It was just too yeah, too true. much. It it wasn't reliable. Um, 
So that's kind of on the on the wane for me. But also big, you know, simple changes that people can make, like eating uh, before seven pm. You know, that's that's the insulin levels. That the, the changes that that makes in insulin is huge. Just just eating late is so bad for people. So if you know yeah, people are, yeah. are trying to get that stability in their system, again, for sure. regularity in consistency, I guess, is the big thing. Mm. Uh, yeah, all yeah. Of this. that's something that you know eventually you end up seeing also in um, the hrv data resting heart rate data you know it will be higher for several hours in the evening um and then you know drop only later and you know sometimes when you see very stable data throughout the night that typically means that you know there was no big stress in the evening and you know everything was already leveled down yeah. um much earlier and, and I think for, so for people wanting kind of a, a real world benefit from understanding or, or, or having access to their heart rate variability readings, you know, we, we, we see a lot of amateur sports people who travel great distances to races. And it's just, you know, it, it, the context, as we spoke earlier, the context of, of where you take the readings gives some insight into all the factors that can affect it. So stress, travel, all of the other factors, dehydration, all of these things that come into it. And so you can understand it, it, it's a benefit to people to, to understand their HRV so that they can adjust their behaviors accordingly rather than just throwing brute force at this and, you know, driving eight hours to, to a race and then not resting and then running the next morning. Some things you just can't avoid, right? Sometimes that's just going to happen. But understanding that that's going to have a consequence is a, is a huge benefit. And, and I'm very much of the mindset quite often. My wife has been telling me not to eat dinner after seven for about three years. I read it in Mark Bubbs's book and did it the next day. So that's caused a huge bone of contention. It's like, so he tells you in a book not to do it and you do it. I, I've asked you not to eat after seven for three years and, you, and you've ignored it. So seeing the data is such a benefit to people to kind of go, okay, yeah, actually there I can see the results and, and I can see that I shouldn't do that. And there's the- say to her, when you've written a book on it, I'll listen to you. <laughs> <Don't> <laughs> say that. You know her, she'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Oh, Marco, that's been brilliant. Um, thank you so much for your time. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed that. I can see from Tristy's face, he's really enjoyed that as well. We've both really got into a lot of interesting things there and I hope that the listeners have really kind of enjoyed it too. Um, I am going to write a glossary, by the way. If anybody's not familiar with any of the terms we've gone through today, I'll put a little glossary in the show notes so that we can all dive a little bit deeper into how we understand what all the information means. Well, I, expect, um, um, I think, Marco, you probably got a lot of FAQs and things on this whole topic anyway, right? Yeah, yeah well, your, sure, you know, yeah. your blog is fantastic, Marco. That is something we'll put in the show notes for people to head over there, you know, to educate yeah, themselves. Plenty, on this. Yeah, exactly. Of information in there and guides and things that we try to break down and explain. So that yeah. hopefully can help a bit. I found that really useful. And, and, you know, I get the email updates through and there's a new new blog post and it's always kind of straight on my list as well. So, um, no, that's been amazing. Um, and, and at some point I'm sure we'll, we'll love to have you on again. And, um, if you'd come on and, uh, if you're ever in, in, in the same neck of the woods as any of us, um, obviously we'd love to go for a run as well. For sure. Yeah. It's, looking uh, forward to, you know, moving more a bit. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Things <laughs> yeah, are not happening so much in the past two years, but, uh, hopefully sooner or later. <laughs> for sure. Oh, brilliant. Well, thanks again. Thank you guys. Pleasure to be here. Thanks Marco. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Trail and Error podcast. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to like, subscribe, and most important of all, share it with your friends and your family. Also, 
If you have any guest suggestions or suggestions for features that you would like to see on the Trail Noah podcast, please get in touch with us via our social media channels at trail underscore and underscore error underscore UK. It makes more sense when it's written down, I promise you. Oh, and we're on Facebook too. See you next time. Thanks for listening.